0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, my name is Marty Plum and I am the host of a Pin and a Napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can haul around with you in your pocket. I'm really excited for this week's uh, conversation with an old, old friend of mine, way back from the college days, who's had an outstanding career as a head coach, uh, Terry Comstock, uh, the former head coach at South Sioux City High School with the boys program, and now heading up the United Sports Academy uh, AAU program in Sioux City. Uh, but before we get into the conversation with Terry, we want to recognize our sponsor for this episode as always, Cossack Chiropractic, located at a 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see Cossack Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at Cosack Chiro. That's or give them a call at 402-964-0300. Be sure to tell them that a pen and a napkin set you. Uh, as always, follow us. Give us a follow on Twitter on a pen and a napkin. Uh, we try to put out daily coaching tidbits on a pen and a napkin. So please, uh, please be sure to follow us there. And obviously, if you're listening, uh, you are subscribed or tuned in to SoundCloud or iTunes, give us a follow, give us a subscription on either service. Uh, Those numbers continue to grow. Uh, Rate and review us, give us five stars. I would love five stars so we can get the word out, gain momentum in the ratings so that we can reach out and help out as many coaches as we can. If you have any suggestions, questions, comments, uh, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. So getting stuff going here today. He is. Like I said, Terry Comstock, my wise old friend from our college days up on the hill in northwestern Sioux City. Coach Comstock, how are you today? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks for the call. Yeah, no problem. The second call. Missed the first one. But that's yeah. okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes... Uh, you- Shut the ringer off. You never know what's going to
0: happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a little slow on the draw. Don't worry about it. It's all right. Um, yeah. Coach Comstock, uh, outstanding coach of career coach. Uh, uh 23 years all Uh Head coach at South Sioux City for 14 years, was an assistant coach at Remsen St. Mary's, and Bishop Helan in Sioux City, uh, along with Briarcliff University for one year. Uh, five state tournament appearances, three state championships, and a state runner-up in four consecutive years. So, uh heck of a job that Terry did at South Sioux City, and He's moved on to greener and better pastures here at United Sports Academy. We're going to get into that here in just a little bit. But uh, Coach Comstock, for those folks that don't know you as as well as I do, uh, just kind of give them a little bit of background on yourself, uh, where you come from, uh, how you have now ended up uh, at United Sports Academy, and you know why you're old because you just celebrated a birthday as well, if you want to throw that in there. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I just uh just got to turn 45 a couple of days ago. So that's uh, you know, it's, it's always nice to have another birthday. Yeah, but, another uh, another
0: revolution around the sun is always a good thing. Yep, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, kind of a background on me is uh I played my
1: high school basketball in uh Phoenix, Arizona at Thunderbird High School for a guy named Buddy Rake, and um Buddy was uh, uh more than just a coach to me. He was uh he was a mentor, he was a father figure, he was everything that you would say about a good coach, um, somebody that uh, I always knew and I still know that I can uh, count on. And um, about once a year, I make sure to uh, to get a hold of him and, and let him know my my gratitude and how thankful I am that he was he was in my life. And and he was kind of the one that just really inspired me to to want to coach and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then I uh, got the opportunity to play at Phoenix Junior College. I was there for. For two years, um, a couple major injuries while I was there uh, shattered my left ankle, and uh, thought that my basketball career was going to be over after the second time I did it. And um, but then uh, Coach Ray Naki at Briarcliff gave me the opportunity to play again, and so I came up to, to Sioux City, uh, where my parents were actually from, and um, they, you know, the Gateway boom. My mom thought it was time for. For them to to move back, because she got a job at Gateway, and so uh, when Ray Nackie uh, called and and gave me the opportunity to to play basketball again you know, at Briarcliff, and I thought, now it's perfect. I can I can move up here, and be with my parents again, and still play college basketball. And
0: how'd that conversation uh, that. go with Coach Naki?
1: Um It was it was somewhat interesting because <laughs> my recruiting was a little bit different since uh, since the injury. It wasn't as if Teams were coming to watch me play, so I had to send some films out and kind of uh, uh, pit myself. I guess would be the best way to put
0: it. Yeah, uh, you were your best but, marketer. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I sent some films out, and uh, and you know he he liked what he saw, so um, gave me a call. And um, during one of the times that I had come up um, to see my parents uh, while I was still in junior college, um, I got the opportunity to uh, to sit down and talk with him and. Um, go through a, a little bit of a workout, and actually got to work out with uh, uh, former Charger Leon Trimingham at that time, and that was uh, that was pretty interesting because, quite honestly, I didn't know who Leon was at the time, and so we're playing one on one, and it wasn't going so well for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, uh, and so I was a little bit nervous about, but then I found out later that uh, um, Leon was. Uh, a little bit more than your average NAIA player. So. Yeah, he
0: was kind of the exception to the rule.
1: Yeah, and for those people that don't know, Leon, he went on and played uh, over in Australia for for many years um, after uh, after his college career at Briarcliff. And um, the first time that I saw his picture on the side of a Coke can, I thought, "Oh, this guy's uh he's pretty
0: special." Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. He did all right. He sponsored, but. With Reebok and Coca-Cola and, and those types of things. So I mean, he had
1: a pretty good career in Australia, but, yeah. but, um, anyway, so when I got to, uh, work out with him, uh, coach liked what he saw and we sat down and he, he said he was going to give me a chance. So I was, I was very thankful for that. And I, uh, I loved my time at, at, uh, at Briarcliff.
0: So. Yeah.
1: Um, and then he actually gave, got me my first teaching job at Remsen St. Mary's. Um, he's a, Coach Nackey's actually from Remsen, and so he knew people that knew people and uh, knew that there was a job opening there. So I got my first assistant coaching job with uh, Jeremy Stuckenholz out there at Remsen St. Mary's and uh, uh, had a great time with him, learned a lot from from Coach Stuckenholz, and uh, he's now an an administrator in Omaha. Uh, And uh, I really – I can't – I could never thank uh, Coach Stuckenholz enough for everything he did for me. And then I got the opportunity to move on to uh, Bishop Keelan. And worked with uh, Doug Moody first, and then when uh, Tom Betts took over, I got to be an assistant. So, I think with my career, I, I had the opportunity of working and-, and playing for some unbelievable coaches. I got to see some really good coaching styles and and uh, good uh, good things on on how to uh, manage teams and manage uh, uh,
0: players. Mm-hmm. You know, Coach Necky was, you know, obviously the the public persona of him for those of him the, the you know, the people that saw him, he was really rough and gruff around the edges. And there were no doubt that he would, there were times that he was like that. But, you know, he kind of did the same things for me that he did for you with helping you out with jobs and always there for a recommendation and that type of thing. And I think that's kind of the the underrated facet about Coach Nagy's legacy in some ways is that, you know, if you were really loyal to him, he was going to go to the end of the earth for you, even though he wasn't going to openly show that, don't you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's uh, he's a guy that I, I always try to, to make an effort at least, you know, a couple times a year to go see him and, um, you know, see how he's doing. And every time I went to see him, I thought it was
2: interesting because he knew everything that was going on um, in my life oh. and,
1: um, you know, if you didn't, I mean, I, it wasn't like I was telling him that I had changed jobs or that we had, um, you know, won a game or, or anything. He just, he made sure to follow his athletes and, and know exactly what, what was going on with them. And so I thought that was always uh, so interesting because he would bring up things and I think to myself, how do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but um, that's just the way he was. So, like you said, you know, he had that, that persona of being really rough and gruff on the court. He was a very, obviously a very, very competitive person. But uh, um, off the court, he was always there to make sure that you were taken care of and what you, you got what you needed and, and those types of things. And um, um, he didn't hold anything back. I mean, <laughs> if there was something uh, that he didn't like that you were doing, um, whether it be on the court or off the court, uh, he, he lets you know that too. And so I think that that uh, was a good way for him
0: to be a second father to a lot of us. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're 14, 14 years at South Sioux City, and, and now you're sliding into a new position where you're going back to be an assistant coach at Sioux City East. Uh, you know, practice doesn't start until tomorrow, uh, but obviously you've already started to make that. Uh, that adjustment back into the the old position that you occupied for a while. Um, how do you look at your your position now as opposed to when you were at Remsen or at Helan, um with Tom? You know, you know what's different about it. Uh, how do you feel like your job description may have changed? How do you feel like you may attack this position differently than you did before?
1: Well, I think um, you know as, as a young assistant. Uh, there were there were two different types of things that you were doing. First off, most young assistants come in trying to show that they know everything, mm-hmm. and I was that same way. You know, at first, I was like, you know, I just got done playing college basketball. Um, I've been around it for so long. You know, you, you can't really tell me, you know, what what to do. And then I learned very quickly that, oh, well, wait a minute, there's more to coaching than just what you knew playing the game. You mm-hmm. know, and so um, I was. Able to make that adjustment as a younger coach now coming in as an assistant for the second time now after being a head coach, you know I got to learn what it what it was what it was to be a good assistant coach. You know what I wanted in an in an assistant coach when I was the head coach, and um, you know that loyalty and that uh, uh, knowing what uh, what's right for the program and those types of things. And so um, I think it's going to be a little bit easier this go around because um, I'll be able to help out. Um, Raz Vanderloo our head coach um, in a way that um, I I couldn't when I was younger you Mm -hmm. know and um, the nice thing about it is is Raz has kind of talked a little bit about giving us freedoms to uh, put stuff in that uh, that we want you know obviously we run things past him so that he knows but uh, but he has a lot of trust in in us as as assistant coaches and kind of says you know, I want you to run this part of our, our offense or this part of our defense. And, uh, it's given us some freedom to do that. So, um, it's, it's going to be an adjustment. Um, you know, it's going to be one of those things where I may have an opinion of, of what I would do if I were the head coach, but it's really not my decision anymore. Um, you know, and so there's going to be times where I think, oh maybe I wouldn't do that, but this is what's right. You know, he's just been a very successful program. And so it's not as if, uh, they needed me to come in and, and, and turn anything around. I just get to come in and help out. So I think that's going to be a, a great challenge as well. Uh, the other thing, too, is it's, it's going to be the first time that I've, I've gotten to uh, coach my son. You know, he's a freshman at East as well. And so I'll get the opportunity to do that. And that's going to be a, a completely
0: different type of challenge um, that uh, that I haven't gone through before. So Yeah, you, uh, you talk about that as... Uh, let, let's go back to you know the the, the coaching part of it uh, the coaching the the whole the team um, you know what what do you think um, now that you've been a head coach you know and you've been you were a head coach for a long time you um, what are the, the 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 major qualities? You know, two, three, four major qualities that uh, let's say a couple of years from now you decide to get back into it as a head coach. What are the two, three, four qualities after the career path that you would have taken at that point that you're looking for in an assistant coach? You were a young assistant coach, and then you were a head coach for a long time, and now as a wise—I'm going to use the word wise because we're not old yet, Terry. We're not old, uh, but we're, we're getting wiser. But let's say yeah. two or three years from now you get back into it as a head coach. Um, what are those qualities, you know, for our, for our listeners that maybe are assistant coaches that are, are, you know, what's what's the things that I need to bring to the table that my head coach is looking for? Um, what are those things that, that you would look for again when you hire people? Well, I think the, the number one thing is is, is loyalty. Um,
1: you know, getting an assistant coach that's loyal and not necessarily to me as the head coach. Um, I mean obviously that would be a great thing but but loyal to the program and what I mean by that is, is that you know i I've had a couple of assistant coaches that that came in and uh, would go around publicly telling people you know well that's that's what he did you know th- those were his ideas those were uh you know I, I wouldn't have done that or those types of things and I think that you know if you disagree with the coach there's absolutely nothing wrong with that i mean I have a uh, I had a a great assistant coach in uh, Jeff Jansen who has become one of my best friends. And, um, and if he didn't agree with something,
2: he made sure to come tell me, Hey, I don't know if this is going to work, you Mm -hmm. know, but
1: that was a one-on-one conversation. And so we could work through those types of things. When you start to hear things from parents that are saying, you know, Hey, you, know, you got your coach over here saying this and this and this, and then that that becomes something that breaks down the program and breaks down the the trust and the loyalty that mm-hmm. you have in that person. Yeah. I think that's to me, that's number one. I think that you know whether they are great X and O coaches, um, I think that's very beneficial. But I don't think it's the number one thing that people should look for in an assistant coach. Um, I just think that loyalty factor is, is huge. Uh, the second thing is that uh, um, that they know their role. As an assistant coach, you know, like like I we was saying earlier, that's going to be something that uh, that I'm going to have to step in and, and know my role as an assistant coach. You know, I don't I don't get to to stand up and and argue with officials during games. That's not my role, mm-hmm. uh, even though that's what I was used to for 14 years. You know, yeah. I didn't agree with the call officials made, but if I don't agree with it now, you know, I just have to learn to say, okay, listen, my role is to continue coaching these boys. I'll let our head coach take care of. of of the officials and that sort of thing and so um you know just just you know that type of stuff Um, the other thing too is when you're used to as a head coach having to speak 75 percent or 80 percent of the time at practice um going backward and saying okay I, i need to stay here and keep my thoughts to myself for a little while um until he's done and then i can give give my thoughts on that or you know okay. kind of like a student in class saying wait you know raise your hand wait to be called on you know that sort of thing and uh um, so I think those, those are going to be other things too that you know just you want someone that's loyal you want someone that knows their role you know having a good obviously uh, uh education on the game of basketball would be very very beneficial sure. but um you know I want someone that's, that wants to learn as well and yeah. not not to say that I that I was a, a great coach but I felt like I could teach other younger coaches, you know, this is the stuff that I've gone through. Yeah. And, um, you know, these are the types of things that could happen if you decide to make certain decisions as a a head coach. So, um, So you know, I want someone that's kind of a lifelong learner as well, and and also kind of and and being able to teach me. I had another great assistant coach who was a a big time reader, and he would he was constantly telling me, "Hey, coach, I just read this book, or you know, I you know the toughness article by Jay Billis, which if you've you've
0: never read that, is something that needs to be read. You know, he's got a whole completely complete book about toughness, but that may have been on, on one of our book club podcasts, and you could listen to a summary of Toughness by Jay Billis on one of our book club podcast so you could tune into that terry well perfect (laughs) i must have missed that one (laughs) (laughs) go ahead i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i I mean i did but but, i didn't uh, but
1: yeah if you can honestly if you if you want to listen to that you know go on the podcast and listen to that, you know, find the article, but to, it's great. So that was brought to me by by one of our assistant coaches that said, you know, hey, coach, this is something I think you need to read. And so, um, you know, it's just, just stuff like that. Anything that can build the program up just a little bit each day, I think is what's
0: great on an assistant coach. yeah. Um, You know, you had a, uh, I, you know, not not to beat around the bush, but you had a difficult uh, situation in the spring uh with with uh leaving uh the South Sioux city program and we're not here to talk about that what I want to talk about kind of like what we talked about in the uh you know before we went on air here um is you know we go through situations we go through life experiences and and like you said lifelong learners and what you what you learn from it um let's go back to the scenario where you're at Sioux City East for x amount of time and you decide to get back into it as a head coach what are some of the the lessons that you learned as a longtime head coach in one program for you know a decade and a half uh that you would apply and maybe do uh differently or not necessarily differently but change up and say you know we tried that that didn't work so well let me try it this way you know what are what are some lessons that you took from from that experience um i think
1: one of the things that, that i would do um different is i think um I would understand that, uh, that things change through time. And so, you know, I spent my, my 14 years when I first came in, I felt like, you know, the things that we were doing were not necessarily like revolutionary, but like, uh, you know, we were trying to do stuff that was different than other people. And so we, uh, you know, we piggybacked a little bit off of what the girls basketball team was doing with coach Kelly Flynn. And, um, you know, started our, our red program. And, and I know we'll probably talk about that in a little bit. And so, but, um, we, we started those types of things and we kept thinking, this is great. This is great. Well, then all of a sudden everybody catches up to you and everybody's starting to do those types of things. And so then, mm-hmm. uh, um, w- I didn't evolve well enough. I don't think as a, as a coach to keep up with the times. The other thing too, is that I, I, I always had that thought in my head that, uh, Things were the same as when I was younger. I mean, if a coach told me, you know, hey, we're going to practice at uh, 6 a.m. on Tuesday, I would go home and tell my parents. Well, that doesn't necessarily happen anymore. And so parents want to be told from the coach about uh, happenings and things like that. And I would always think to myself, well, talk to your kid. You know, just they know, you know, ask them what we're doing. And so for for whatever reason, it seems like we have, you know, 9,000 more ways to.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: communicate with each other and we communicate less yes
0: oh um, you're exactly right you're exactly and and
1: and so it's it's uh that that to me was something that i didn't evolve very well with you know parents were constantly emailing or calling and saying you know how come i didn't know about a game time change or how come i didn't know about a practice time change or you know things like that and i would say well (laughs) i told your son you know and and so that's another thing I would change a little bit more. You know, towards the end of my career, I started sending out um, emails once a week mm-hmm. to parents and just kind of giving an update and saying, this is, these are the sort of things that are going on. You know, we have these games this week, these practices at this time, uh, we're doing our fundraiser, whatever, whatever it was that the parents needed in the communication. So I started doing that a little bit more um, towards the end. But uh, I think that that'd be something else that would change quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, I would go back to, to um, getting to more clinics. Um, you know, the early in my career, if there was a clinic within a hundred miles, um, I was at it, and I was listening to every coach, every speaker, anybody that that I could listen to. And then I got to a point towards the end of my career where I was thinking, okay, I don't want to keep adding more stuff, so I wasn't going to those things. Well. I was missing out on a lot mm-hmm. of stuff, and sometimes, to be quite honest with you, um, there were times that I that I thought to myself, "Well, you know, that's a that's an NAIa coach speaking. You know, I, I'm going to wait till you know Shushevsky shows up, then I'll go listen to him." Well, you know, sometimes not listening to the to the bigger name coaches doesn't mean they have more knowledge you know, mm-hmm. they might recruit really well. <laughs> yeah. And so it looked like they're, they're really good coaches. And then I'm not saying it's not, don't, that's that was just an example. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, I think that you got, you listen to, you know, like a Nick Nelson, a Briar cliff when he was there, I thought he was a great speaker and I got to learn a lot from him, you know, uh, you know, Jamie sale, who you and I are both friends with. And, uh, um, you know you'd sit down and you'd listen to him speak and you think, man, you got a lot you know and, and and that brings up another thing is I've heard a lot of coaches talk about um, well, I'm not going to go listen to that speaker because he coaches girls' basketball or
0: women's basketball and I think that's just stupid you want you want some of the greatest set plays you can ever get watch a Wmda game <laughs> yeah know? exactly um, and so uh,
1: I think those are the t- that's another thing that I would do um, a lot more is I, I get back into learning more about the game and how it's changed, uh, you know, it changes each year. Um, I think another thing that I made a big mistake of is I, I, started turning over a lot of stuff to other coaches. And I, not that, not that you need to micromanage that stuff so as a head coach, that is the worst thing I think you can possibly do. Yeah. But I almost went overboard the other direction to where I would say, okay, um, you know, we almost had like offensive and defensive coordinators, and there were times, or even as the head coach, I'd be like, "So, what are you guys putting in today?" You know, and I think I, I needed to be more involved with that, and, and especially down with our our uh, younger groups. You know, we had our Redbirds program; it was running great, things were going awesome. Um, I'd go watch the games, and then I'd think to myself, well, "I don't—that's—that's that's not what I taught you to teach those boys." But you know, I want to give you a lot of trust and. And I'd let them do that. Well, By the time they got to us, um, they were getting taught completely different stuff than, than what our program was doing. And so I needed to be more involved with that, too. So, um, uh-huh. you know, as a head coach, you have to be involved with, with getting your younger kids developed and, and doing that. We did a lot of that with our younger groups, and I think we were very successful with that. And then after we had some success,
0: I kind of backed away, and I, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. I want to go back to two things that you talked about. Um, you know, that's kind of the, what you were talking about with, uh, speakers and, and coaches, you know, um, you know, for the, for the first year that I was out, you know, I was, I was still looking to learn, but one thing I found very difficult was, uh, finding stuff that was relatable to me. I mean, YouTube is filled with stuff with sheshevsky and Izzo and Ari Emma and Phil Jackson and all this other stuff, but, you know just well as I do, a lot of that stuff that, that those guys are doing or capable of doing, they're able to do those things because they have driven, awesome, world-class athletes. And, you know, that's not what ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the coaches in the, in the world have. And so that was kind of the impetus of trying to put this together uh, to have a voice for... High School coaches, especially like you and i uh who who don't have that elite athlete walking and not you had one really uh, you know one or two really elite athletes and basketball players in your fourteen years. I had one or two in in thirteen years you know fourteen years, and you know we need to learn how to coach without those athletes as well and that's kind of more than anything else that's why i put together this podcast series was to help folks that didn't have those type of resources that you know uh put those things in and i agree with you that you you talk to a nick nelson you you go see a a jamie sale uh just because the big name isn't there doesn't mean that they don't know what they're talking about in fact if you maintain success at a smaller school you must really really know what you're talking about don't you think yeah
1: exactly yeah you know kind of uh, kind of a side note of, of something you just said, you know, I, and I, I won't say the coach's name, but I can remember going to a clinic one time and uh, listening to a, a big name coach and thinking that, you know, this is, this is incredible. And I get my notebook out and um, we, another coach asked a question and said, how do you, uh, um, what do you do versus a, a, a two, three zone or something? I, I can't remember exactly what the question was, but it was basically something, you know, what do you do against a zone? And so, uh, this was back in the day when the coaches were still using, um, overhead projectors Let I mean, we tell you how long ago it was, mm-hmm. but, uh, so this coach gets out his dry erase pen and, and starts marking on his overhead projector and he doesn't have the light on so we don't know what he's writing and then he flips the light on and it, all it says is recruit shooters. We go, <laughs> awesome. Okay. So yeah, thanks for that hope
0: I drove all the way down here so you could tell me to recruit shooters. Yeah, <laughs> oh, exactly. You know. <laughs> You know, and this was again, this was a big name coach. It was a you know a guy that
1: was very very successful in the, in the college ranks. And I'm thinking, come on, man, help me out. And um, another another big name coach is, you know, they uh, we were listening to like we were talking about defensive rotations. We were asking him the exact question was, you know, what if what if this guy can't make that rotation? You know, what if we want him to go from the baseline to the sideline or sideline to to get out on a shooter and you can't get out there quick enough. What do you do? And he just flat out told us, well, you recruit someone better? Go, we can't do that. At the
0: level, <laughs> yeah. so you're not helping me.
1: <laughs> so, exactly.
0: exactly. Um, you were also talking about the delegation part of it. Um, that's a, that's a fine line to walk. Don't you think where you want to, yes. you, you, you cannot micromanage, but you can't macro manage either. And, you know, you, you have to figure out, um, it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, you you said it's one of the things that you wish you could have done differently, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's difficult to say, well, I should step in here. I should not step in here. It's not as simple as it sounds, don't you think? Yeah, it's definitely not as simple
1: as it sounds. It's, uh, um, you know like you said there's a fine line because I actually had some youth coaches that I would come into practice and watch their practices and I'd say hey coach can I just uh, you know give, give you a couple things here you know and so then sure why not well then all of a sudden the coach would tell me later you know look if you're not going to let me coach then I, you know I'm a volunteer I don't have to do this and I go whoa that's you know it's it, not, I'm not trying to take over for you I'm just trying to help you know
0: yeah. Uh, and by the way it's your program yeah yeah
1: and <laughs> it's my program but you know, yeah. but, uh, but at the, you know don't want to upset people they're trying to help you and so i think that that got to be a little bit of a, a problem for me because i was thinking to myself you know look I, don't don't be offended you yeah. know i'm just trying to help you. if somebody comes into to, to my practice that i feel like could help me um you know then hey talk to me mm-hmm. you know i want to i want to learn from you but uh but i think there, there was a line, you know, so I, then I almost got to a point where, like I said, I went the opposite direction and just said, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to trust you, you know, yeah. and I can remember even saying to a, uh, to a youth coach that, uh, you know, Hey, you know, just, just make me look good when they get to high school, you know, and he said it in a, in a, in a joking manner, but not a joking manner, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: You needed them that to do.
1: they with, with what we were doing at the high school
0: level. So, if you if you had to do it over again, would you have been harsher? Not not harsher, but tougher. Like, look, either you got to do it this way, or I got to find somebody else. Yeah, I definitely would have. You know, uh-huh. even
1: even with volunteer coaches, I would have said, you know, hey, I do appreciate your work. You know what you're doing for us, but if you're not going to. No, you're fine.
0: You're fine. You're fine. That. I think Scott Jensen used to do that at Bellevue East on the yeah. girl side.
1: Yeah, so. on the girls' side, yeah. And mm-hmm. so I think uh, uh, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. You know, if you've got the assistant coaches willing to do that and you can find a, a stipend of some sort to
0: do that for them, I think that's another great idea. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that, that I have on my list of, you know, if I get back into it is I'm going to turn over the youth program's to a trusted assistant and you handle the scheduling you handle the parent emails of when this practice is and you know here's you know pre-teach them this is what I expect and if we have to sit down for hours we'll sit down for hours and explain everything that I want within the program Um, but delegate that while also having a keen eye on it and having that middleman and you, you always have the middleman's back you know Uh, but just, you know, I would, I would spend just too much time, uh, scheduling feeder team practices or, uh, answering feeder team parent emails and that. And and, and what I realized was, um, that took time away from the kids I needed to coach immediately. And maybe it was only five or 10 minutes at a time, but it was five or 10 minutes at a time that I could have spent on the varsity group, you know? and and so you've got you've got to find that you got to find that leverage. But that's one of the things I would definitely do differently is just say okay, and I would establish that with the with the junior high parents and the elementary parents. Look, you have a question, go talk to coach Smith. And yeah. you know, I'm not going to answer this. It, it goes to him or her and um and just establish that you know, system. Um, that bureaucracy yep. so that i could coach tr- concentrate on the things that i needed to concentrate on not what i wanted to concentrate on you know yeah
1: exactly we, we had a coordinator for our, for our Redbirds program mm-hmm. um, and it was we had, a, we had one of my assistant coaches that um, that did coordinate that and, and um, but then we got to a point where we started letting teams say you know we, we were talking about just just like I know we're going to talk about the United Sports Academy here in a little bit, but it's a little bit like the United Sports Academy where we tell our coaches, you know, these are the five tournaments you're going to. And so I, um, we, we would set up certain tournaments with our Red Bird teams, and then all of a sudden we give them freedom because they'd say, well, you know, we found a tournament in Lincoln, and we found a tournament. The next thing I knew, this was another thing I would have changed, is the next thing I knew, we've got some of our youth teams playing 95 games a year, yeah. which I'm a huge, huge proponent to uh, you know, burning kids out, you know, yeah. I mean, we, we, we are, I think we're killing youth sports by burning kids out and are killing high school sports, I should say, yeah. um, by burning them out when they're younger. And, uh, um, and so I, I think that's, that's something else I would have, st- I would stick with and just say, look, you're going to play, you know, 25 games or whatever it is. You're going to, you know, these, these five tournaments and that's it. And that, you know, the rest of the time is going to be developmental, you know, yeah. going back to Kelly Flynn, when he was going through his major run um, of state championships in their youth program they or with their middle school program I should say they uh, they didn't play games they did it for six weeks and everything was intramural mm-hmm. and so by the time the, the girls got to high school you know they didn't go through the pressures of the games they, didn't, they still had a major love for the game and I think that that's a that was a huge deal you know and I I didn't agree with it back then you know yeah. Kelly when I would have these arguments I'd say hey these kids got to play games you know I mean what's the point in practicing if they're not going to play games and now as an older coach I look back and think man he had it he was right yeah you know those girls that go play you know Fridays were just intramural games they would do drill work Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and then Fridays they would just play intramural games and they'd play for 20 minutes and switch it up teams and you yeah. know they, they had a blast and they got to high school and and they were loving it yeah um and so I think that that uh, is something else I would probably do,
0: too, is make sure to play
1: less games, more, more
0: developmental stuff. One of the things I did my last couple of years is, you know, I would tell my, my coaches, okay, we're going to charge X amount per kid. And, and this is just, again, while we're on the topic, let's just bounce ideas out there, you know. Um, we're going to charge X amount per kid. We're not charging a dime more. This is your budget. You have X amount of money to um, to go to X amount of tournaments. And let's say, you know, we would say we want all of our teams to go to the Millard West Lady Cat Tournament or whatever it was called. You know, Kruger does a really nice job with that tournament out there. So everybody's going to this one and two other ones. And then you have enough money to go to two or three other tournaments. But we're but that's it. And we're not asking, we're not going to pass the hat and get a bunch more stuff. This is, this is where we're going to cut it off at. And, and that kind of helped with that because, um, you know, it, it put a limit, it forced my coaches to really look at, okay, here's the thing three, three were required to go to. Um, and then, you know, we've got to figure out which two or three, whatever the number was, um, are the most beneficial for us that we're going to get the biggest bang for the buck that's going to fit our, our playing level, so forth and so on. And and I had a couple of times where coaches said, you know, can we ask the parents for more? And and obviously ours is a little bit different where our school was or is, you know, tuition driven, whereas yours is a public school. Uh, but I my thing I always came back to is, look, we're asking them to pay a whole lot of money in tuition. I'm not asking them for any more money than we're already asking them for. And that kind yeah. of helped with that um to to kind of okay we're playing enough to keep them interested and excited and they're playing a lot of games but we weren't overdoing it and that was that was a solution for us that we kind of came to in the last couple of years it seemed like it helped us out a lot too so just while we're throwing ideas out there that's that's one of the things that i did and i did like that you know we kind of kind of i don't know how we fell on it but it seemed to work out pretty well so um, i think I think it's important that uh, that you're not
1: overdoing it and not burning kids out. I think that, uh, you know, if you look across the country, I mean, every program is losing numbers, and I think that's a big part of it, is that by the time they get to high school, they, they've already played, you know, 500 games, and they're, okay, I'm done, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, and, I, and I don't blame them. I mean, you you and I grew up riding bikes and playing at the park and hanging out with our friends and that stuff, and now we're pushing kids to... You know, every Saturday you're going to have a tournament or, or a league game, or and don't forget Tuesday and Thursday when you're playing in a different league. And you know,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. And, so. one of one of my previous guests said, uh, "There's not a problem with youth. There's not a problem with sports, but there is a problem with youth sports." And I yeah. think that I think that perfectly summarizes the issues. You know, right there with that statement. So, um, so how you know how did the uh, you, you've moved on to. Uh, United Sports Academy. By the way, that was an awesome segment there. I mean, I thought that was that was that was great. You did a nice job there, Coach Comstock. I think we hit I think we hit some good things there, buddy. So, no thanks. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, U Sports Academy or United Sports Academy. Excuse me. How would that all get started?
1: Well, if you have asked me uh, two or three years ago if I'd be doing anything like this, I would tell you, no, absolutely not. I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with AAU basketball. Um, I just, I honestly just, uh, I, I was kind of the anti-AAU guy and we're not necessarily, you know, like a, like a typical AAU program, but, uh, you know, I was, uh, kind of helping out with, with people around town. Um, just, you know, kind of throwing ideas out of things that we could do to help out the youth sports, just in the Siouxland area and things that we can do to better Siouxland basketball. And, um, you know, if you look at the run of, uh, of teams around Sioux city, even 10 years ago or, or longer, you know, around even longer than that, Sioux city basketball was incredible yep. right now. It's, it's, it's a little, gotten a little bit down. And so I just wanted to see what we could do to do, help that. Well, um, I get a call from uh, Angie Christensen, who was another college um, uh, classmate of ours. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and so she was just like, hey, would you want to sit down and, and just talk about, you know, how you can help us at the United Sports Academy? And so I, at first I thought, no, I, you know, I, I got, I'm got i pretty happy with what I'm doing right now. I don't, I'm not worried about it. Well, then she called again and just said, you know, just sit down. Let's just sit down and talk about it. So um, we sat down. I laid out some things that I said, you know, look, uh, this is what I think is wrong with, with AAU style basketball. And um, I I won't be a part of that. I won't, I don't want to do it. So this is where you're, you're looking to get your program going. I don't want to be a part of it. And she said, no, that's not, we want to be a developmental program. We want to be, you know, an avenue for kids to get better at the game and not necessarily just go out and play. And so, I said, okay, those are, those are things I agree with. And so I, I, you know, I told her I would jump on board and do that. And it's been incredible. You know, I get the opportunity to, uh, to work out with kids. Um, you know, they, they can sign up and they can work out with us at the United sports Academy. And, uh, uh, I loved that part of the game. And mm-hmm. so, um, and so that's, I get to do that, um, as well as running uh, practices for, for our youth teams and, and, making sure that they're set up in a way that I feel like we're making them better basketball players and better people versus uh, just throwing the ball out there and letting them scrimmage and say, okay, well, good luck.
2: You know, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I flat out told our coaches and our directors that if we have a kid who believes they're going to be on our team and go one-on-one every single possession while everybody else stands around, I don't want that kid as part of our program. Sure. You know, I don't care how good he is, and I don't care how many games he can win for us. That's not what our program's about. And so th- those were the types of things I wanted to make sure I squashed before I ever became a part of this. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, how many kids you have involved with the program now? Um, right now, we have uh, well,
1: from we have uh, programs all the way from kindergarten all the way up to uh, up to high school, and so we do our what we call the K two at the U. which is a uh, kindergarten through second grade league and the way we set that up is that we uh we do drill work for uh, about an hour we do stations mm-hmm. um and so we do some drill work for about an hour and then we let them play for about 30 to 45 minutes of just uh different types of games you rather it be four on four three on three five and five um you know those types of things um and, and we just the other day we did our last one last Saturday. We had ninety seven kids in there, um, mm-hmm. in in, that, in our facility. So uh, to me, that's that's kind of a, a really really cool thing for those kids. Uh, we try and make it as fun as possible. Um, we don't care about one thing. We do care about is making sure they learn the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, and whether you ever watched a, a second grade basketball game, you understand that uh, double dribbles are a really really big <laughs> thing. And so yeah. we really wanted to harp on those types of things of saying, you know, don't forget you can't do this or, you know, the, a lot of the teaching aspect versus just letting them come in and do the wrong things and then go home. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the other thing that I wanted to be involved with the United Sports Academy because it's a nonprofit organization. You know, this is not something where we're trying to make a ton of money. Everything that we get goes back into the kids. And so, um, that was a, when they when they talked about that. That was another reason why I wanted to jump on board because I was thinking, you know, look, I'm not going to bring in 75 kids just for their money. Yeah, um, you know, we charge them what we have to charge them for tournaments and uniforms, things like that. But otherwise, it goes back. And our goal is that someday we don't have to charge the kids if we can um, somehow get enough donations and, and those types of things that we can just say, okay, you know, we want you to come play. Um, free, but we'll have to see That's years down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Um, At our high school level, um, right now our girls' program is a lot more established than the boys'. Um, We kind of uh, blended in with the Iowa Select uh, girls' program, so Mm -hmm. we took on all those girls at Angie Christensen did a great job of of building up that Iowa Select, and now she's our our main director of basketball, and um, so our boys' program is just starting to kind of get built up. Um, and right now we have uh, two teams at the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade levels, and that that will be playing during the winter. And so um, we have roughly you know, about you know twenty five to thirty kids per grade mm-hmm. um, that are coming in, and so we're we're pretty excited about that um, that we get the opportunity to work with uh, with so many kids and in that aspect. And then uh, during the summer, we'll obviously get our. Uh, our high school teams going and we had a uh pre kind of a pre high school tryout um just to kind of let kids get into the facility and see what we're about and that sort of thing and uh for that high school tryout we had roughly about 50 kids that had mm-hmm. come in and went through a workout with us so um you know i, I think we have some some really good programs of some really exciting things going on there and uh um, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to be a part of it. I mean, I think that we're doing things the right way and we're, you know, we're approaching things in a way that, uh, that help, that help kids versus just
0: trying to be a moneymaker. Yep. Yeah. I will, uh, when this drops, um, I'll, I'll need you um, to send me a link to the program. I'm guessing, I, I know, I'm sure you guys have a, a webpage or whatever, and we'll put that on the Twitter feed when this all drops. And, and so people have a link to it as well, so they can go and, and, and check everything out here. So, um, and then, real quick, one other thing before we kind of turn the page here on some stuff, uh, the Mike Rogers Foundation, uh, which I know is something uh, near and dear to your heart. If you could, in a minute or two, kind of explain your involvement with that and and uh, how folks can get involved with that as well, real quick.
1: Yeah, you know, we have the uh, uh, the, the Mike Rogers Foundation, and and uh, basically what that what that entails is that it's uh, we're trying to uh, raise money so that we can continue Mike's work and, w- and what he would be doing if he were still here with us. Um, if you knew, uh, Dr. Mike Rogers, he was uh, an incredible, incredible man and, um, and an incredible athlete. <laughs> yeah, You know, he's a guy uh, that I got to coach uh, two of his sons at uh, Taylor Rogers and Nate Rogers. Um, and, uh, both just incredible, uh, incredible men. And, um, you know, Mike just did so much. He was a, a principal at East Middle School, and, you know, at his funeral, they had to move his funeral to East High's gymnasium, and the gymnasium was filled.
2: Wow.
1: And so, it's to me, when you have to move a funeral to a high school gymnasium, and it's filled to the rafters, it, it tells you what an incredible person that you're dealing with. And so um, the way that this, this thing kind of started with the foundation was that Mike's um, uh, sister-in-law works at one of the elementaries that uh, I work at. And so we just I just kind of asked her, you know, what could we do at the United Sports Academy to help out in any way to help raise money for your foundation and for, um, you know, any type of a memorial fund or whatever. And she said, oh, man, thank you so much. You know, let, let's sit down and talk about it. Well, then I got a call from Don Rogers, who is uh, uh, Mike's wife. And she was very thankful that we were willing to do something. And she said something that she's been thinking of a long time was trying to put on a three on three tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason she wanted a three on three tournament, not a five on five or anything like that, she wanted a three on three was because Mike was so involved in playing in the the old days of Gus Macker and downtown Jim Brown and and Uh all of the three on three tournaments that were traveling around that we don't see nearly as much anymore. And so um, she she really wanted to. uh, to, to make it a three-on-three tournament. And so we said, absolutely, yeah, let's do it. And so we um, set up the date. We have a three-on-three tournament on December
0: 21st at the United Sports Academy. Um, a little plug right there for you. But, uh, no, that's fine. It's
1: a three-on-three tournament on December 21st. And uh, every dime, all the proceeds of that go straight into the uh, Mike Rogers Foundation. And what the foundation basically does is, again, is, is, it just helps out in any way the one thing Don wanted to make sure that with this thing is it wasn't pigeonholed into one thing. It wasn't just to help youth. It wasn't just to help, you know, she wants to make sure that if somebody, if a kid can't afford uh, tennis shoes, they can apply. Um, when this thing gets completely done, they'll be able to apply and say, you know, look, we're just looking for a pair of tennis shoes. And then, you know, Don can decide if they really need them or not. Um, or gone in the family. We, they wanted to make sure that they had control of all of that, which was, I think, is the absolutely correct thing to do. Um, but then also, if, you know, let's say a, um, a student wants to go on a mission to go, you know, help out in another country, um, they can also apply to do that. I mean, it's just all around. So she just wanted to be able to have the funds to help out in any way possible that she could and, and do things that Mike would still be
0: doing if he were here. Awesome. Well, uh We'll uh, have to drop a link with that as well. So make sure you send me both of those uh, when we get off the phone here, uh, TC. So uh, and we'll, and we'll, we'll push that through our thing here. And, and coaches, especially in, in the Nebraska, Omaha, South Dakota area, uh, sounds like a great thing for your youth teams to go to uh, in December. And, and you're going to be doing it for the right reasons, uh, for, for a great cause to help out uh, a lot of young people. Um, it, just, it just sounds like a real it, – it's a winning – thing all the way around so yeah um, you know we just want to make sure too that people understand that this isn't something we're not
1: again we're not trying to make money for the united sports academy through mike rogers yeah every dime that gets made there is going back into the mike rogers foundation and so yep. um yeah it's it, it, you know we're we're uh,
0: donating the facility but it's but it's all uh, going back into to whatever the rogers family wants to put it towards yep okay all right well we're going to pivot here uh We're going to jump into uh, the Don Meyer quote of the day. And uh, one of the great Don Meyer quotes, one of the ones that he is most known for. And Terry, you know, I'm sure you recognize this quote. Leadership is like pornography. You can't define it, but you know it when you see it. And, you know, amen to that. Um, You know, I mean... Not not the pornography part, but just the the quote in itself, where you know you 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 know great leaders, you know great leadership when you see it it's it's hard to put a thumb on it if it was easy, everybody would do it uh but you know your great leaders when you have them um you know have, have I'm sure you've been in that situation, haven't you oh absolutely,
1: absolutely, you know and uh you listen to, to a lot of people talk about um, you know, the leadership roles, and I've had, some, I've had some leaders that I didn't feel had very good leadership, and um, I've had some other people that uh, would never consider themselves leaders that I thought were the greatest leaders I could ever see. Um, Dan Masters, who now works at the NSAA, was our uh, athletic director at one time. And he was only with us for a couple of years, and in those two years, I think I learned more from him than I than I had for from people that I've known for twenty years. Mm-hmm. And I think that that uh, is a reason why he was able to um, move up into you know a, a director position at the NSAA so quickly and and, and as such a young man. Um, because he was just incredible like that. So you're right. I mean, if you see good leadership, you know it. And um, then just because you've been giving a a leadership role doesn't mean you're a great leader.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you can use, uh, I'm sure you were in the situation as well, you do this long enough, Uh, you have leadership that is great leadership, but it's leadership in the wrong direction. You know, and and a a lot of times that happens in the locker room. Uh, it happens in the bleachers, um, and, and that makes your t- job even tougher. Yeah. You know,
1: I, you, know, you, you kind of uh, talked a little bit about uh, Mike Gazelle, a, a kid that I, I got the opportunity to coach that went on to play at Iowa. And for, at South Sioux, he was one of the greatest leaders um, that I think the school probably has ever had. Agreed. And, in, and not just on the basketball court, but you're also talking about a kid that was a valedictorian of the school, um, as as well as being a Division one recruit, and so um, you know the, the state championship teams that we had, all of them had a GPA of, of over like three point seven five or something like that as a team. It was incredible the the GPA that those teams had. And he, being the valedictorian, was the first one to kind of get tell people, hey, you know, you, we got to get our schoolwork done before we get our before we can play basketball, you know, and it was just, just stuff like that he was not a vocal leader, but you knew he was the leader. Yes. And that was, uh, I think that was very important to our team. You know, and it goes back to like the Michael Jordan quote of just saying your best player has to be your best leader in order for your teams to be successful. And that's exactly like he was. Now he did call me one time and I think coach McCaffrey had gotten after him a little bit about, um, not being a good enough leader. And he called me, he said, coach, do you feel like I was a leader? And I'm like, what are you talking about? You're (laughs) the greatest leader um, I've ever seen. And, uh, um, but I think Coach McCaffrey was looking for more of a vocal leader, um, and that wasn't how Mike was. Mike was the okay. type of guy that uh, he was going to outwork you and push you and make you work harder. But he wasn't going to yell and scream at you.
0: Yeah. No, and and, so and, and, and you can well you could, styles there. Yeah, absolutely, and you've got to play to that strength, and you've got to be smart enough to. to and not to say that Coach McCaffrey isn't smart. He is. He's very smart. But, yes, yes, you know, I mean, neither one of us Coach are saying McCaffrey, that. If you're listening to this, we're not saying you're not smart. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you know, I think it's important as, as, you know, high school coaches to recognize where your leadership is and play to that leadership. And I think oftentimes as coaches we get caught up in uh, – and, and I think this is a great segue here. Uh, we get caught up in our players' weaknesses that we forget to, to also – you know, we want and, and our natural instinct as coaches and as teachers is to to work on your weaknesses because you're not very good at this. What about playing to their strength and then minimizing their weaknesses? And let's let's subtly work on your weaknesses. But it, we're going to we're going to play your strengths a lot more so that you're feeling good, so that when we do work on your weaknesses, you have more confidence in that. Um, I think that's something that I, I'm sure I was guilty of it at some point with a player or a team. Um but i i think that's an important perspective to have and to remember that let's let's play to their strengths play to their strengths and then let's help make their weaknesses acceptable weaknesses yeah you're exactly
1: right you're exactly right i mean a kid a kid needs to feel um that you, that you care about them that you that you understand the good things they do before you can um you know break them down and let them know about their weaknesses and uh um, so I think you're exactly right.
0: Mm-hmm. So a couple of the things that we talked about before we before we jumped on here, uh, we, we've already kind of talked about youth and feeder programs and that type of stuff. We've kind of talked a little bit about communicating with with parents. Um, where do you want to go next? Um, we 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 could talk a little bit about culture. We could talk about uh, one of the things you want to talk about was half court defensive philosophy. How about we jump in on that? Is that good? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Um, hey, just 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 let it rip. What do you what do you like to do? What where does your core teaching values come in at? You know, so forth and so on. Well, you know,
1: something I would say to, to younger coaches if they're listening to this is is always make sure you you know what you want. If you're, you know, and I'm talking about setting up offensive, defensive, but know what you want. And um, I made the mistake. Um, in my coaching career of going away from that a little bit, you know, letting somebody else tell me that, uh, uh, you know, that my philosophy maybe wasn't the best, even though it was still successful. And so, um, I think that's the number one thing is just know your philosophy and stick to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you may get to quirk to things a little bit, but stick to it. My philosophy was, it was, um, in our half court defense is that, uh, it was almost oh. set up as a little bit of a a man type of zone we were going to we were going to draw players into traps and um and we were doing that by by making sure that we were pushing everything to the baseline um to the sidelines you know keeping things out of out of the middle as as much as possible and then rotating trapping and rotating over and um It, like I said, that was, that was always very successful for us. Um, Mm -hmm. we got in positions sometimes where we were, we we would outnumber ourselves to where we were trapping and maybe it wasn't a great trap and now we're playing four on three on the other side. But, um, defensive rotations to me were just so important, you know, you know, know, and you can't trap if you're not going to rotate. There's just, you know, it's just, it's just silly to even try. But, um, and so that, that was always what we did. We pushed everything to the baseline. We pushed everything to the sideline. Um, and then the last couple of years, we started doing a little bit more of the, uh, the pack line stuff and started kind of flowing everything to the middle to where we could um, help out. And um, it was something that I didn't truly believe in. So I so it was, it was something I didn't coach it very well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, I would go back to making sure that everything's pushed to the baseline, to the sideline, and keeping it out of the middle
0: as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of what you're describing is, you know, that's kind of what we did for a long time. And then we switched to the pack. And it was, uh, it was good for us based on our personnel, but it sounds like kind of what you're doing is a lot of what was highlighted last spring with like what Chris Beard did down at Texas Tech. Uh, and, and they were talking about when, when they made that run in the NCAA tournament, they were talking about his defensive philosophy. Is, is that just to give people kind of a visual uh, of what you're describing? Is that kind of the, the way you would teach your stuff? Yeah, and I, I think it's very close to the way we were going to teach our stuff. Um, you know, at South we had, uh, we
1: had one seven footer in my time there. And other than that, our, our next biggest kids were, you know, we never got over six, three, six, you know, and so we weren't going to be able to float anything in, uh, into a post player and try and block shots. Uh, so we always had to make sure that we kept everything as far away from the basket as we possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Russ Busher, who was my assistant coach for a couple of years and is probably in my mind one of the most underrated basketball coaches um in, in you know, the whole Midwest, if you ask me. But uh um he he kinda ran a lot of our defensive stuff and so we started getting into a lot more of uh half court traps where you're looking at your scrambles like uh bowling green did or mm-hmm. uh, you know things things of that nature. And so we started going to a little bit more of that, which I loved as well. Um but when we were going straight man to man, it was everything was kind of pushed, just push it away from the basket. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we would set up lines on the court to where we'd say, Okay, we want to make sure that everything's we set up our our, our quarters, you know, one, two, three, four, and we'd constantly say, Okay, if it gets into the into the one corner we want to trap with these people. If we gets into the two corner, we're going to trap with these people, and uh, and then making sure that we got to the right spots on our rotations.
0: With your smaller teams, how did you defend the post? Uh, not very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just, okay, what was the what were they asked to do? How about that? So <laughs> we, uh, we we constantly
1: <laughs> tried to be as physical as we could. Before a post player would get established, and so we would we we were telling our post player any anybody that would get the uh, that would have to guard in the post, we'd say don't don't just don't let them down there. You know, if you got a kid, uh, a six eight to you know seven foot kid, which a lot of times we saw, especially when we went down to the Omaha areas, um, you know, we tell them hey, if they get established on the block, you're dead. So you need to make sure that you get them stopped at the free throw line. You get them stopped fifteen feet out. We need to start bodying them up early. And um, so that's what we try to do a lot. Um, and so if they got down, um, we would always, always, always make sure that they turned. That was the only time that we wanted them turned back to the middle. We didn't want anybody to be able to just a drop step and put it off the glass. So we would jump to the baseline side mm-hmm. and try and trap from the opposite side and um, hope they put it on the ground because then our guys were going to be hands all over it. Digging so, down. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, uh, that was kind of our, our, our hope that we would do,
0: but, uh, so many times some of those
1: bigger kids were able just to shoot it right over top of our
0: guys. Yeah. Uh, we used to call that not, not that my girls knew what I was talking about, but we would say, you know, we got to cartwright them like Bill Cartwright used to, you know, meet him at the three point line and just start throwing bows, you know, legal, legal bows, but, uh, you know, make it physical, make that last 15 feet a long 15 feet that they were going to make coming down there. So, um, so you would, you would three quarter it bottom side a lot of the times. And then would you, uh, would it be the same rotation coming from the same area or would you, uh, a lot of times in your, in your scout say, okay, uh, Frank, uh, when it gets to the post, you're doubling down every time. Or was it just, you know, when, when the, when it comes here, we're coming from this spot. And if you're here, you've got to come here. And it was interchangeable.
1: Well, we, we came from the same spot most of the time. You know, we, we were, again, we were huge on, um, on weak side help. Um, and so we would bring that opposite guy. We would actually probably a lot of times bring him too far over just because of size advantages um, and hope that we could get a body on a, on a post player before. So we always came from that from that uh, backside baseline guy and then rotate out of that. And uh, uh, We always felt like that pass from the post to the opposite baseline is, is a tough one to make. Uh, quickly, so we thought we could rotate quick enough if that uh, if that pass was made. But um, so I was always that baseline guy, and then we'd rotate around if we had to from
0: there. Gotcha. Um, do you run much junk at all, or, or zone stuff? I mean, I know you were mainly a man-to-man guy, uh, no. but uh, any any counters to that that you would use to change up uh, tempo or? Or uh, take the other team out of their rhythm or anything like that?
1: Um, well, we would the only other thing we would really do, we didn't do a lot of jump stuff. If you ever watched this play, you know we were pretty pretty easy to scout because um, our defense was always going to be pretty much the same. Um, I, I always felt like if, if we had to spend too much time um, teaching a different jump defense every week, uh, we were taken away from our philosophies that we had, and
2: so mm-hmm.
1: and maybe we should have done some more, but we just didn't. But the only other thing we ever did was something I learned from uh, from Steve Throne, and just uh, and it just what he called dork trapping. And uh, um, you know, we would find the guy that had the lowest three point percentage on the team, and we would we would go trap with with him quite a bit, mm-hmm. and leave leave him open, and uh, uh, you know. As, as Coach Mackey told me one time in a game, you know, there's a, and, 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 and he had a little bit harsher on the than I'll give you, but he told me one time that there's a good gosh darn reason you're always open. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought to myself, you're right, Coach, because I, I really, man, I got a great V-cut, great L-cut, I mean, I can get myself open any time, but you know, as I get older, I realized it was uh, you not know, so much that, it was more they just left me open, so. <laughs>
0: Oh yes. Oh yes. I, I've I've I I can I can I can put you myself in that situation and know exactly what you're talking about in the exact tone that he was saying it in. So you know uh that's that's funny. Um you're a big skill development guy. Um what are what are some things, uh what are some uh, transferable drills, and I know it's a little bit difficult when it, we're just we're just talking and there's no visual to it. Uh, but what are what are some things that, uh, uh, suggestions I guess maybe or drill work that you would have for just overall skill, uh, development? Um, you know, either stuff that you uh used at South Sioux or some of the stuff that you're using at uh, USA. Um, some of the things that
1: that have developed over the years, um, is that uh. I do, I do a lot of cone work, you know, but I try and always make sure that that cone work turns into a live body. Eventually. Um, you know, I've learned that, uh, that the kids can be great against a, a cone that's not moving or is only two inches high. Yeah. <laughs> and so
0: I still struggle um, to score against those. I mean, that was me, yeah. you know, <laughs> but well, we, we had some kids that would, that, you know, still turn the ball over. <laughs> um,
1: it, it, it does amaze me it's kind of kind of a, a funny story is, but it, almost every single time that I'm, that I'm working with a kid, somehow they'll dribble the ball right off that cone and it rolls out of bounds. And I always think to myself, hey, you want to get to a game, <laughs> but you just put that off that, that non moving object and mm-hmm. it rolled out of bounds. So, but anyways, uh, so we, so what I started to learn is that sometimes kids got really good at these drills and, um, and then they get into a game situation and they weren't very good. Yeah. And I was always trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, man? We, we just worked on that. They were ripping. They were, you know, they were attacking the basket pretty hard. And now we're in a game and they're, you know, losing the ball all over the place. And uh, started figuring out that, yes, it, they need to be able to read a defender um, at, at the same time. So you, you can work on all those cone drills you want. They may be great at it. But then when they put a live body in there that makes them turn a different direction, you um, the reaction to it isn't very good, so I've been trying to to, to do the the uh, the cone work and then moving it into a, a live body situation. If you have more than one person, if you don't, then you don't have that uh, choice. Sometimes, I mean, um, I jump in once in a while and you know just kind of try and startle them. But uh, if you ever got to see me play, you knew defense wasn't my forte. So uh, uh, just going out there and trying to guard a uh, uh,
0: you know 15 year old kid isn't the easiest thing in the world for me anymore <laughs> you're asking for an er visit there in a, in a hurry and, and i saw I, I i saw you play defense when you were a quote-unquote athlete yeah my recommendation gotcha. would be not to do that anymore buddy yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> i always i always had a lot of pride in the fact that i would dive on a loose ball but uh i don't think i would do that anymore but, um, i got asked uh a couple of years ago, about a year ago, I said, "How come you're not playing in the uh, the old man's league anymore?" And I said, "You know, I walked out of long lines one time, and I looked at my knees, and I said, I have got both ACLs and both Achilles intact.
0: Yep, I won. Yeah, game over. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to be said for that. You know, uh, the 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 elliptical is a heck of a lot easier than running and walking walking the dog four or five times a week is a heck of a lot easier than being on the elliptical. So, uh, my level of resistance continues to, uh, diminish as I get older and older here as well. So, um, do you try to, uh, when you're doing these skills workouts, you know, one of the things that I started thinking about is, uh, the, the value of time and, and our kids these days are so used to, uh, like you said, they're, they're stretched thin would be an understatement. Um, do you as you're doing these workouts you, you, you let's say for example you were talking about cones but you're combining two three four different skills uh with it it's not just ball handling it's ball handling passing uh shooting you know you want to combine as many things as you can and of course with the skill level you're doing different things with kindergartners than you are sixth graders than you are seniors but yeah. uh, don't you you know I think that's an imperative. Thing with skill development um, with let's work on at a minimum of three different skills on every single drill if we can.
1: Yes. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, you know, we see sometimes where uh, I've seen some some workout gurus uh, that will uh, come in and, and, and strictly work on ball handling. You know, we're going to come up to this cone we're going to make you know, five moves and go, well, that's that game situation, you know, yep. let's, let's work on coming up and, and, and doing a crossover and snapping that crossover as fast as you can. And then where is your next step going to be? And, um, uh, I, I've watched some people do workouts to where they say, okay, we're going to get to the, get to the chair and, and crossover and, and pull up jumper. And then all of a sudden they do a slow crossover and they take, you know, three or four side steps and then shoot an off balance shot. You know, mm-hmm. why are we in the gym? Yeah, you know, what are we doing? You know, and uh, so those types of
0: things kind of drive me crazy when I watch them. You know, um, so, them. oh, I'm I'm with you. <laughs> and so
1: my thing is, is that um, you know when you're working out a kid, we're going to do a crossover. We're going to do one scale right now, and when we get that really good, then we might add, you know, getting to that split stance and going between the legs, or we might add, you know, something else. But. You know, doing something that's not game situation, like going to going up to a chair and, and making five moves, you know, which is going to just when they get to their high school coaches is going to drive them bonkers. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: uh, I don't think is, 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 is very good. Yeah. And then what is your next step now? Okay, now you were able to cross over and now are you taking, uh, you know, three or four false steps before you go where a defender is going to be able to come over and uh, guard you anyways, no matter how good a crossover you have. You know, is your next step to the basket? Is it away from the basket? Where Where are you going with this? And so I think that uh, those are the main keys for me when, when I'm working out with kids is that it's it's every single step has got to be corrected and coached and not just, you know, crossover, pull-up jumper, okay, good,
0: do that five more times, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I think if parents are ever looking for someone to
1: work with their kids, Please look for those types of things. You know, if, if, if just because somebody says you give me thirty dollars an hour doesn't mean they're they're a good coach. You know, and uh, I've seen that way too many times with uh, with people that are paying sometimes fifty to a hundred dollars an hour to go work with a kid and the in the coaches on the side on a cell phone for twenty minutes. All right, next uh, go between the legs crossover. Mm-hmm. All right, good job. You know, and it, yeah. you know, that's that's not what this is about. So
0: yeah. I, I I read somewhere and I put it on Twitter, um the best NBA players and this is so the best players in the world, and granted the defense is really good as well, but on on shots that take more than two dribbles, so three or more dribbles, the average NBA player, the average shooting percentage is twenty-two percent. You know? Yeah. And yet uh we teach ball handling and it's the most overworked on yet underused asset in the game of basketball you know
1: yeah. i was uh um, watching a, a workout not, not too long ago and a, a guy that was working out had a uh, he was working out with a fourth grader and um he was trying to teach a fourth grader that was struggling with even putting the ball between their legs to go around the cone and go back into a step back jumper and i'm thinking from from like you know 18 feet jesus i was thinking this kid can't shoot from five feet you know why are we why are we teaching this step back jumper you know when they haven't even gotten the, the, the first part of a regular jumper
2: down yet yeah so I just, it, that that type of stuff it, it blows my mind it drives me
1: crazy you know i mean too many too many developmental coaches feel like they need to show you what i know well that's not helping the kid you Yeah. Know? I mean, if I was to sit down and tell you, you know, these are all the drills we do, now give me your third grader and I'm gonna do these drills with them, it wouldn't be good for that third grader. It would be uh, silly to even try. Now I might do that, you know, I've got a couple of kids that are all staters and I say, Okay, hey, here we go. You know? Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna get after it and we're gonna you know, we're gonna try and get that shot off a little bit quicker and we're gonna, you know, do some footwork things they're gonna give you. But, you know, it's it, that's a whole different
0: ballgame. Yep. Yeah. All right, one last thing here. Uh, let's let's end with this. You're down one, 20 seconds left to go. You're going to see uh, man-to-man. Uh, what are you drawing up in the huddle? Give us one really good set play um, that you can describe on a podcast here.
1: Um, give it to your best player. Get everybody else out of the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, go, okay let's assume it's, 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 uh, you've got your average, your average team here, you know, um, you know, what do you got for me? What, you know, what, what philosophically are you maybe looking at?
1: I think, um, I think in those situations, um, I think uh, what we always went with in those types of situations is some sort of pick the picker type play. And I always felt like, um, if you were in a close situation, um, we wanted to put as much pressure on the on, on defense as we possibly could. And so we were going to do anything that was going to pick the picker, whether it was going to be like a, a baseline screen, down screen, whether it was going to be a, uh, you know in a, in a box and set a diagonal screen off the second picker, something. We were always going to have one person going to the basket, another one popping out, and just hoping that they were either going to switch you know, lose their man. You know, I always felt like it was the same philosophy as like in football. And I know it's illegal to set pick plays in, in football, but you see it every single game.
0: Absolutely, and and, and they baseball. and they literally say, "Call it." You know, we're going to force you to call it. You know, Yep. So yep.
1: exactly, and that, so that was always kind of my philosophy. You know, kind of like a again, kind of like football. If you're down on the five yard line and, and you you run your 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 widest wide receiver. On a slant route, and accidentally, uh, <laughs> as you saw in my their quotes, and my like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you accidentally um, run into that other defender, and you're going to move the second receiver out. You know, and he's going to be wide open out there. I always wanted the same thing in basketball. You know, yeah. we're going to go go set that set that first screen. The first screen's probably not going to work, and we would tell our kids that that's the first screen's probably not going to get somebody open. If it does, give it to them quick. Hurry yeah, up. But, yeah. Uh, but it's going to be the second screen where they're going to have to make a decision on, uh, you know, who they're going to guard. And so we would always hope we had that. Uh, and then if all of that, if that was defended really well, we always had a shooter on the backside um, with hopes that if it didn't work, it was because there was a weak side defender that was standing there. So just throw that skip pass and then uh, mm-hmm. hopefully have something there, too. So that was always our philosophy on you know, those types of situations.
0: Um, and, and those are well rehearsed beforehand.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we always had two or three different uh, pick-the-picker type plays, and, um, and we, always, we always told them. Um, you know, our other philosophy, too, we had was uh, at the end of quarters, we always ran a ball screen. And again, like I said, I mean, if anybody scouted us, we were pretty easy to scout. Um, we were going to take the last second shot or the last shot of every quarter. That was our philosophy. And everything was going to come off of a, of a high ball screen. Now we have some other actions going
2: on underneath it, mm-hmm.
1: but uh, but we were always going to set that set that high ball screen and uh, and make you defend that because I think uh, that's one of the toughest things for high school players to the, to defend is um, you know you better have a philosophy on a high ball screen. Where are you going to trap it? Are you going to you know are you going to uh, have the, a backside player come over and hedge it? I mean, what are you going to do? So mm-hmm. um, so yeah. That was, that was another philosophy that we had. And so if the pick, the picker play wasn't. If we knew that wasn't going to work, we just say forget it. Set the ball screen and go from there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you you weren't drawing this up. I mean, you may rehearse it, but it's like, all right, fellas, hey, we're running Cardinal two here. Uh, we've run this hundred times. Let's just go out and execute and do what we do. You know, there, there you didn't have a lot of, okay, we're going to draw this totally new thing up here with twenty seconds left. Now go out there and do it, type of a thing. Yeah, exactly.
1: And, you know, the other thing, too, is that you always have to, to know what defense you're going against. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to, uh, we always have to tell our kids, okay, if they come out, because normally in that type of situation, there's been a timeout within the last 30 seconds. Yep. And uh, so we always tell our kids, okay, if they come out in a, in a zone, this is what we're going to do. If they come out in a man-to-man, this is what they're going to do. Um, if they slip it, you know what to do on a slip, so do that. Um, you know, I will tell you, kind of that same situation, the 2013 championship game against Scotts Bluff, um, I've had multiple people come up and tell me, you know, that play you drew up against Scott's Bluff, that was one of the greatest things I'd ever seen. And I just always laughed because our whole thing in that huddle for that last second shot for that one the state championship was um, we said, okay, I, I looked at Nate Rogers and I said, dude, you made me a believer. Here's, here's what we got. We're putting the ball in your hands. And so we told him that this time, you know, with about I can't remember what we told him, but we said like you know, with about three seconds left, I want you to start going to the basket, going hard. And if they don't come, come to you, it's your layup. I said, but well, here's what's going to happen: the whole team's flooding to you. I said, we've got Jordan Comstock coming on the backside. I said, so if they flood, if they flood you, like I think they will, just give it to him. He's going to be wide open that's exactly what happened and so the people that say man when you drew that play up i think well <laughs> listen it wasn't exactly drawing a play it was a, uh, you know i'd love to sit here and tell you that man that was one of my greatest coaching accomplishments ever but it was uh nate you get the ball it's either gonna be your layup or his layup
0: yeah so, figure yep. it out <laughs> option a option b you know that, yep. that makes you look really smart so yeah exactly awesome awesome well hey i appreciate you coming on here on a sunday morning um, this was this was a lot of fun. I hope you had a good time doing it. So,
1: oh, I I love I love talking. So if you ever want want me back, let me know cause <laughs> I could just sit and talk basketball. The only thing we're missing is some appetizers and a drink.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm gonna make you pay that bill because you teach at a public school and I teach at a private school. So yeah. you you, yeah. G- you got I more money. That,
1: I might start my own podcast and just call it that: an appetizer and a drink. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> but, but then we would need the pen and the napkins. You know, so, so, so there you go. There's, there's the point counterpoint right there, buddy. So, uh, but no, uh, no, thanks for so much for coming on. Um, you know, we've been friends for a long, long time. I value your friendship so much. And, uh, you know, you kind of, uh, you were talking about Mike Rogers funeral and, um, it brought me back actually to my mom's funeral. And you know, one of the things that I will always cherish about our friendship is you and, and Warning and, and a bunch of guys coming to uh to my mom's funeral and just the the love and compassion that you showed me guy uh you guys showed me uh, when I needed it the most and, and and so um you know that's when I knew it was just more than a simple college friendship it was it was something deeper than that and I've, I've always been appreciative of that and you know just love you to death and and we got to get together more often face to face than we do um these days you know so yeah, yeah absolutely you know the next uh, the next time we do a podcast like this
1: uh you know i know i was joking but uh seriously would love to do it face to face and uh and get to hang out because um you know just like you said, just getting to talk with guys like you that, that we've known each other for years and uh, and, and kind of have the same uh, values, uh, I think is, is something that,
0: that needs to continue. Absolutely, absolutely. So we'll hang on the line here for a couple seconds here after I wrap up the the things I have to do at the end here, and and we'll roll from there. But uh, uh, thanks again to Coach Terry Comstock for. Uh, coming on a pen and a napkin here on a, on a Sunday morning. Uh, we want to also thank uh, COSAC Chiropractic for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, if you're ever in need of chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Um, follow us on Twitter. Coach, can we get a follow on uh, the a pen and a napkin Twitter, if you haven't already?
1: Oh, I absolutely. I follow it, and I've gotten actually um, all of our, Coaches up here that I that I work with, I said, "You guys need to you need to get on this." And um, so the funny thing is, I get the notifications on my watch, so I've got every set play that you put on every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks! Hey, that's good stuff. So you're in the middle of PE class, and you, you take a rubber ball to the to the nose because you're looking down at your watch. But you know, <laughs> no, I'll take it. Go, oh, man. We got a new baseline out of bounds play, <laughs> <laughs> and you've got a dislocated nose, so that's all right. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, uh, no, I appreciate that. Keep spreading the word for us. Uh, Like I said, download the podcast, rate it, review it uh, on iTunes and SoundCloud. And like I said, if you have any... any questions, any comments, whatever, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, great conversation with Coach Terry Comstock uh, from United Sports Academy there in Sioux City, Iowa. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. We had a lot of really, really good stuff uh, here this Sunday morning. So, uh, And as always, coaches, as we wrap everything up, coaches, be sure to continue to hone your craft one day at a time.